This is a Strategist, episode 1255. My name is Zane Belgi. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, what's going on? That's the energy we were missing uh, from your non-union replacement uh, last episode, Zane. I got to tell you. <laughs> That's a really rude thing to say about Annalise. Yeah. No, the... the well, Annalise, as you know, always brings the energy. Oh, we didn't tell you about that. Oh, we didn't get your permission for that. Oh, but Annalise, no, you didn't. <laughs> I didn't know oh, no, that. we didn't. <laughs> okay, no, I did not know about that. It was like, <laughs> well, well, Zane, Zane, you might have some common cause with the Writers Guild of America after uh, if you listen to the last Patreon episode. Okay, people have been texting me. What, what did you guys do? As you know, <laughs> I, I don't subscribe to the Patreon because I don't see the value in it, and. <laughs> So, you're gonna be sad now yeah, yeah you're gonna be I, sad. Uh, what did i miss go go ahead does someone want to explain it should are we hearing it are you gonna play it I is mean, that what this episode's gonna be i mean director's cut you know what it doesn't Carter, feel like something we're one. gonna play it was yeah. steven's idea what was the idea i was Carter? an innocent bystander. Well, you know how you occasionally aren't available to record the podcast and by occasionally we mean every time we ask you of course. And we thought we'd solve that problem by asking Annalise to fill in. Correct. And then she, she's also never available. That is right. Well, and are you aware yeah. how much technology has advanced in the past few years in the space of generative amount. artificial intelligence? Well, I feel like these points are going to converge. <laughs> I, listen, I don't, and I don't mean to pump Corey's tires up, but he knows quite a bit about this AI communication stuff. So he's done a very good job with AI communications. I, as always, am just kind of trailing along, and I happened to find a place where I could find a replacement for you without it making it seem like it was really a replacement. I mean, so, replacement, I'd say improvement. This thing doesn't speak yeah, Korean. Yeah, it was an improvement. Yeah. yeah. Wait. <laughs> the Korean was a nice touch. That's what made it work. That's so fucking stupid. I should I should unionize Carter. Um, which brings me to my first segment of the show. Uh, our first segment: uh, Zane tries to unionize Carter. Um, <laughs> help me with my strategy to retroactively uh, unionize so that the Writers Guild and I. Uh, prevent AI from taking over our jobs. Uh, in, in my case, uh, it's already happened, it seems like. Yeah, no, you're definitely not really required anymore. Um, are you still going to live in Alberta? <laughs> or... I'm still going to live in Alberta, yeah. Are you, are you actually helping me here, or is this going to be another troll? Well, no, I mean, if you live in Alberta, you're fucked, because uh, oh, okay. well, I don't thank believe... You. Yeah. I thought so, this is getting very... I thought you are giving me yeah. options of which union to join and which local no, no. would be excited no. to have me. No, that you're in Alberta. Very, it's like a dark turn. Done. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I have no Corey, strategy for you if you remain in, in, in here. Corey, is unionization my only option at this point? Do you know, there's this cliche in artificial intelligence. They say, you're not going to be replaced by an AI. You're going to be replaced by a person using AI. So I think you've got to embrace Zane, which we named him Zane because your name has A and I in it. Uh, so it's his name now. We'll call you Zane too. So Zane too, you could be working with Zane yes. uh, to be twice as productive on the show. Think about how long your questions could be if you really embraced generative AI. Oh man, that now, could be really good. Yeah. Yeah. Do we own Zane.ai? Do we own that? I feel like we should. <laughs> we better. <laughs> oh, I'm looking it up. Hold on. We don't own this. Oh, this we better get should... that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we could purchase it. 
We, we, well, I think we should purchase like it. Oh, I think more than purchase it. I am absolutely putting up a Zane AI bot there, uh, maybe before yeah, the end of the be night. Corey, you people can ask their own back questions with us around the cost. There's been some issues in the past <laughs> where, like, Carter just goes along with it because he doesn't want to upset you. Uh, I, and, you and know what? We figure out, we, we, we see a bill, and I'm like, well, what is, what's this for? Uh, you know, you know, it happens. It's, uh, so, Corey, you have no unionization insights or information for me is that fair to well, say well i do think you should be getting together with annalise and and probably trying to create a bit of a block here this power in numbers the reality is um we've also got her voice ready to go yeah uh, it's pretty great it's annalise <laughs> capital a and capital i in the least part it's great yeah yeah see really, you both have a and i in your name it's really good mine's so better, good it I makes it so much it's easier shorter. yours is much so, tighter right, yeah right, right, yeah, right beside yeah. Yeah. good well thank you for that I, i'm i'm hoping folks enjoy that episode uh the slim slim group of Feedback folks that's been some of your best patreon there might be value finally for the patreon i guess yeah. that's the plug i'll give uh <laughs> you know uh to sign up on there okay let's actually move it to our first segment our first segment guys the strategy sprint we've introduced this a long time ago around episode 1100 you guys will remember that actually it was yeah. our inaugural episode that we introduced the strategy sprint one question one issue you guys i heard now i didn't listen to the last episode i heard you guys talked about the alberta pension plan right yeah. you guys talked about scenario planning strategy etc um i heard it was quite a good episode um not just because i got out of the way uh and wasn't there um <laughs> But I want to talk about this. I know you guys talked about strategy as it relates to what the Alberta public should do if they disagree with it. You talked about advocacy strategy for them. You talked mm-hmm. about strategy for the government. You guys kind of went through which scenario is it? What are they actually trying to do here? Appease the base, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, and you guys talked about opposition strategy. I want to talk about strategy for one person, which is none of the three uh, scenarios you've described there. It is Pierre Polyev. Stephen Carter. <laughs> Pierre Polly is going to get One this guy. question. I have yeah. not seen. Now, I should have looked into this prior to recording, but I have not seen him comment on this, at least not with its like now release details, 53%, etc. What should the strategy for Pierre Polly here be, Carter? And Corey, same to you in a second. Well, I think he should. I think he should stand up for Ontario and British Columbia. I think he needs to focus on where he needs to win seats. Uh, much the same way that we said the strategy for uh, Trudeau should be not to worry about uh, about Alberta because there's no seats to be won here for the if you're the Liberals. There's also no seats to be lost here if you're the Conservatives. Um, so you can go to bat uh, for uh, British Columbia and Ontario. And the way I would probably do it is to create a talking point that basically says every province has the right to step out of the the Canadian pension plan, um, but they don't have the right to take what's not theirs and. You know, whatever that number is going to be, the number is going to be determined together with the federal government. And if Pierre Polyev was in this government, by God, he'd make an extra 25% a pair, right? Like he'd take care of everybody. Everybody would get the money that they need, uh, which is kind of the same thing that uh, Danielle Smith's doing and selling the APP. Lots of money for everybody if you're Albertan. Corey? What should his strategy be? Carter got a bit into it and what his message should be. Oh, that what was a strategy. His... No, that was no, no, it's helpful. Strategy. It's better. Okay. We're going to get there. No, you usually do jump the gun. But it's fine. There. We're used to it by now. Um, I know AI Zane didn't call you out on it, but uh, here <laughs> I am. Cool. Here I am to draw the time out, Carter. Uh, Corey. Uh, <laughs> Corey. <laughs> the episode was think? a little bit on the light side in terms of time too yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you guys, you guys couldn't pull the short. contract hey tell me Corey, what should what should pure strategy be 
So that's uh, that's a fascinating question. I I do think that Stephen's idea of saying, "Hey, what's going to get me votes where I need votes?" is is probably sound. I think in reality he's going to desperately try not to do that. I suspect when he comes out from underneath the rocks that he's been under hiding from this issue, he's going to say the thing we expect him to say, which is, you know what? It's such a shame what's happening in this country because of Justin Trudeau. You know, it, they no longer see the federal government as a partner. Like the root cause here is that Justin Trudeau is a terrible partner. The liberals are terrible partners. They've been trying to run roughshod over Albertans. Albertans are rightly hurt. Albertans are rightly fed up and that they don't see the value in a federal government right now. And if I were prime minister, I would show them the value of a federal government that's a partner these kinds of things wouldn't even come up. And then if pushed any further, say like, well, listen, I don't know the details on any of that. Uh, it, it sounds like an interesting story. Obviously, the core principle to me is that all Albert or all Canadians are treated fairly. Um, and then you just sort of walk away by saying all Canadians are treated fairly. You're both winking to Albertans and saying, hey, that's the deal. That's the fair deal that we give you your part. And you're also winking to everybody else and saying fair means that Alberta doesn't take more than half the fucking pension. So, you know, I expect uh, a lot of skating from Pierre Polyev over the next bit uh, as he tries not to antagonize his base or uh, or the people that he'd really like to have on site. Carter, one, one second. Corey, is, you expect skating. Is skating the right strategy? Can he get through the moment by skating? In some cases, skating is the right strategy. Is it in this case? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great way to buy for time. And um, and then you can sort of see where the issue is. Let's put it this way. If this thing is a fucking flop, even in Alberta, after a round of polling, then you don't need to worry about it very much. But if it's um, if it's a situation where all of a sudden it looks like conservatives are pretty keen on the idea, maybe other provinces start to think it's an interesting idea. Well, you've got a little bit of different calculus then as uh, Pierre Polyev. So yeah, by all means, take a week or two to figure it out. It's not the most courageous strategy, but it's probably sound politics. Carter, sound politics and purely opposing it? Or no? No sound politics? Like, in, in terms of just saying this is silly and uh, we should stay in the Canadian pension plan? Well, even, is that, even, is the, even the, the current polling, and I know I know that we're, 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 Corey talked about novel concepts, I'm sure, right, around polling yeah. on this particular matter. But it's not in the favor of the UCP. They're going to put a, a, a campaign together to try to boost its favorability, but it's not necessarily something even Albertans want. Opposing it? Sound politics? Um, probably not bad politics. I think that you can definitely get away with opposing it and making that part of your overarching strategy straight up. Um, but the wink strategy that like, I, I'm, I'm going for a little bit more than the wink strategy that Corey's going for. I want mm. there to be kind of some opposition uh, to it on the print, on the principled basis of, um, you, you know, everybody must get their fair share. Right. Which is kind of what Corey's saying. Uh, but it's just, I think it's just a question of emphasis. I'm trying to emphasize it a little bit more and uh, push push the liberal, you know, really focusing on the geographic piece and not wanting, not worrying at all about Alberta would probably be the best way to approach this. Um, if you're worrying about Alberta, you are probably on the wrong side of this issue because the rest of Canada is going to be up in arms. So you may as well take a position that, that is clear at least to all those in, in the rest of Canada. Um, 
that this is not a great idea. Quite every time I hear the word emphasis, I can only think of the uh, the phrase that we've heard in many boardrooms uh, about the emphasis on the wrong <laughs> syllable, um, which was uh, uh, Goldie Hyder. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying it's Goldie Hyder. Goldie yeah, Hyder said that perpetually. Yeah. Yeah. Did he create that quote? Let's find. It. Let's. Oh credit well, him. I, listen, listen. He, he gets credit. It's where but... the puck was. It, it's where the puck was going <laughs> to go. Guys. He didn't create that <laughs> that quote either. But uh, it's where yeah. the puck was going to go. Oh, I wish my dad worked with me. Anyways. Um... <laughs> You know, after the last episode, that's going to be misinterpreted. It I is. just want you to Do know that. Do we not explain it? it? <laughs> I, I don't know how to explain it. Oh, fuck. Okay. No. I, I'm seeing Goldie Shirt. I don't know. Okay. Anyways, um, yeah. I'm sure I will, but I don't want to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> what we're doing. You're explaining you're losing, Zane. If you're explaining you're losing. Corey, okay. That was good. That was, for, that was, a, that was a small... In between segment for the three of us. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all that matter. It, it's uh, all that's ever mattered. Maybe, yep. maybe two that's other true. former colleagues of ours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Corey, explain this to me. Um, the politics of pure opposition, right? right? Skating versus opposing. It's not popular in Alberta, presumably not popular elsewhere. Why not just oppose it? Yeah, well, good question. But I think that the answer is um, it's not just about the votes like Stephen talked about hey you can lose some votes in alberta but you'll pick them up in ontario and that's pretty good if you want to be prime minister there's two things really that i think would drive pierre polyev to maybe be a little bit more gentle on this particular issue the first is let's face it there's an awful lot of fundraising enthusiasm and just power in the conservative apparatus that comes from alberta and that's something that as the leader of the conservatives, he's going to think about it and he's going to contemplate. And he just doesn't want to hear about it. I think he doesn't want to be at war with Danielle Smith. Um, it just doesn't serve his particular interests at this particular moment. He doesn't want to have a bunch of issues that he then, you know, he's going to be called out on. So you're willing to stand up to her there, but not here, not on these other things. He'd rather keep it a matter of okay, okay. politics. But the other one, I think probably as important is he doesn't want to create an opening for right-wing opposition, right? He doesn't want to have the People's Party of Canada bleeding off five points. Like, that might be the difference between majority government or not. And so he'd rather not give an opening to the freemen on the land who think that there frankly shouldn't be any federal programs of this particular nature. And shame on Pierre Polyev for not standing up for us, because C.1 about money and enthusiasm, you know, the Alberta conservative enthusiasts could also put their money behind the PPC if they saw fit. And so it's a question about just making sure that you're not, you're not accidentally creating opportunities for other groups that might hurt you in other ways. And, and why, why make this your problem? And, and that's why I think he will probably do a bit of skating because his skating is ultimately about keeping it Justin Trudeau's problem, it, keeping it the premier's problem. You know, he doesn't need to make it his problem. Carter, what will he do? Corey's giving me his take. What will he do? We've talked what about what he, he should do? do. Yeah, what will he do? I think he's going to skate on it. I think he's going to skate because I think that he, you know, we, we, I rank, you know, we, 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 I attack him quite frequently. I'm, I'm not sure that, uh, you know, Corey attacks him quite as much as I do because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, bull in a china shop, I think is how I've been defined by some. But, um, this, He's a very good politician. And as a very good politician, he's going to do the math. He, you know, the Corey's made a good point about the fundraising. I think if if I were advising him, I would tell him to to go hard on this. It's not, you know, I don't think it's going to impact the fundraising 
as much as other things could do, because I think that he's still going to have a lot of other uh, quivers in his bow, if you will. Uh, bow is, uh, no, arrows in his quiver. One of those things is probably correct. Um, <laughs> I, think you think, I think you mean Bow Rivers in his quiver. Bow Rivers in his quivers. Bow that's Rivers exactly in his quivers. I, I think, yeah, that's right. That's exactly what I yeah. meant. But he's got so many other things that he can appeal to Alberta with, right? Like Alberta has got many, many grievances. They don't need to be tied to to this one thing. Um, so that's why I wanted, you know, I would push him to to try and stand up for Ontario um, because then he, he looks like he gets a bigger get. But for for all the big swings that he makes, I, I think that Pierre is actually relatively cautious as a politician. He does not does not take really big swings unless he knows they're really going to pay off. And I I'm not sure that he's thinking, oh, this one's a, this one's a slam dunk, so I'm really going to go for it. I think he'll he'll be a bit more hedged than I'm than the advice that I'm giving him. Corey, this is a strategy sprint. I want to go quickly. Talk to me about timing. You said he doesn't have to rush on this thing. Talk to me about when's the timing to stop skating? When's the timing to shift strategy? How do you even assess your overall time frame here? Talk to me about that in, in, in your world. Yeah, I think it depends on how the issue evolves for sure. But you're not going to get away with not saying anything about this over the next couple of years as Alberta debates it, as the Alberta government spends a fortune yeah. on it. You're going to have to say something of substance. And I think ultimately... After a couple of weeks of skating, if this ends up being an issue that looks like, hey, maybe it's even only 60-40 with 40% opposed, but it looks like with all of the power of the Alberta government, maybe the Alberta government could make that push to 50%. Maybe they could get it. Then I don't think he's going to necessarily feel like he's going to come out strong against it. I think he will ultimately have to come out soft against it, though. Like I, I think yeah. that's just the reality as a federal leader. And so I imagine it'll be comments similar to my opening skating comments except it'll be like well i'm opposed to this i don't think it makes sense but we are only here because of justin trudeau and his mm. broken federal government you know so you you know how there's that old adage nothing before the butt counts watch yeah. carefully because politicians <laughs> know that's how people react to words before but and they will create sentences where the message they're trying to bury is before the butt and the message they're trying to emphasize is after the butt you know, even if it tortures the English language to get there. And I expect you'll see a lot of sentences like that, where he'll use every rhetorical trick there is to de-emphasize the words he said where he said he's opposed and throw everything back on Trudeau. Carter, timing. Talk to me about how you're looking at timing for Polyev on this particular Alberta pension plan file. I'd go quick. I'd go really quick. Um, just because I, I think that you can get quick out and then kind of walk away from it. You want it when everybody else is talking, right? You don't want to be the only person who's, uh, who's doing it. That would, that would be really tricky. But if you're the one who is, um, you know, you're one of many people who are talking at the same time, like this early this week, everybody's going to be talking about it. This is our second episode in a row. It is going to be a talked about topic the beginning of this week. And I suspect that if he gets his comment in, he can then just start saying, you know, I've made my comment, see my earlier comment, and go back onto his regular attacks. Um, unless he decides that he's going to make something big of it, like, like my suggestion would have been. Let's leave that there, that segment. Nicely done on the strategy sprint, guys. Let's move on to our next segment. Our next segment, we did not see that coming. Belgi Rule Edition. That is right. 
Get it? <laughs> I, yeah, 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 I see. Because of Nazi. <laughs> yeah. Carter, it's got the word Nazi in it. I, because, I Carter, we've good. got this yeah. beautiful quote. I particularly want to extend my deepest apologies to Jewish communities in Canada and around the world. That sounds like that sounds like borderline Velgy rule, Carter, because yeah. oh, the Speaker yeah. of the House, Anthony Rada, apologized earlier today for honoring a man who fought in a Nazi unit during the Second World War. He was responding to condemnation from Jewish groups and others stemming from a movement uh, from a moment during President Vladimir Zelensky's visit to Parliament on Friday. During that visit. Um, Rhoda said, Yaroslav Hanka was a Ukrainian hero, a Canadian hero, and we thank him for his service. Those ca- gathered in the house stood up and applauded. Well, turns out, Corey, he fought in a Nazi unit during the Second World War. So um, I'm just going to go out on a limb, not the side that we would usually stand up for and applause. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. Corey, this is not the story, but it actually... In some ways, is an interesting part of the story. What I do want to talk about is Zelensky visiting uh, Parliament. What this means for Canada? Will we stick together uh, on our commitments to Ukraine, or will we divide like the GOP is starting to, or fracture like the GOP is seemingly starting to? But let's start here about this moment. Who's to blame? There's a lot of blame going around today around what happened here. And so I want to talk to you guys about like procedures on this sort of stuff. You guys may have some insights on it (laughs) in terms of who is actually to blame, right? Because at this point, the speaker, Carter, has taken full responsibility for his actions. It was on him, his invite, his person. I'm sorry. I called him out. The prime minister didn't meet with them. Government house leader, Karina Gold, is is offering, you know, uh, saying that the government didn't know about his presence, etc. But when we get beyond the spin, get beyond the crisis management the opposition saying the prime minister should be embarrassed. The prime minister has not commented on this from what I can understand. Carter, who's at fault here and how do these things work? Any sense? Let's start. Oh, I am sure that in the speaker's office, there is a 20-something staffer who went and, and found this person through how whatever means, right? Uh, uh, an uncle of a friend or a grandfather of a, of, a, of, of a friend or something along those lines, a story that was reported online. They went and they Googled it. They found this guy, didn't understand the history because, you know, they don't know that particular part of history. They're, they're relatively, you know, like they're good at politics, but they're not great at history. And they invited this person. No one checked everything out. Everything went to shit. Uh, I mean, you look, you see the entire house. Uh, stand. Um, so on some level, everybody who is in the house is responsible, right? Like this isn't just, you know, oh, well, I didn't stand or they didn't stand. I mean, everybody stood. Everybody understands that, you know, we're trying to take on the Russians now. And people forgot that taking on the Russians in 1940, uh, 1944 was kind of a different crew. Um, so... <laughs> yeah different crew is probably the wrong phrasing different but... crew understatement there yeah. yeah so i mean i just think that you know these things happen there are people the people who are working in these government offices are young and inexperienced and looking to gain experience and you know someone didn't look over their shoulder and ultimately this is what happens cory how do how do you think this happened this is pure speculation, but also not like if, I want to just see if you have any knowledge on this, no, right? Like to kind yeah. of put, put the pieces together and who's at fault here when we kind of put the spin aside? Well, ultimately, 
the speaker is responsible for the words that come out of the speaker's mouth. Sure. And, uh, you know, there was, if you watch the tape, you can kind of see the wheels turning in his head partway through as he realizes, am I, am I fucking praising a Nazi? Like he seemed <laughs> to realize it halfway through, right? Like, so you gave kind of the short version, but the, the longer version is we've gathered in the chamber today, a Ukrainian Canadian veteran from the second world war who fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians and continues to support the troops today. So, you know, like I actually do think that Stephen's answer of staff are young and people make mistakes is the right one. Like ultimately, mm. you've got to keep in mind you might be a staffer nowadays who was born after the year 2000, World War II, oh, yeah. distant Almost certainly. memory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the idea of of those clear lines and those and and uh well, and let's let's be clear, there are nothing clear about some of those lines in Ukraine in the second world war because there was uh you know stalin there was hitler and there were people cozying up to both sides and you know neither is is somebody that i think is super admirable but canada at the time was an ally of the russians of the soviet union the soviet union was fighting with nazi germany and i do think that um maybe uh somebody just had less than a perfect command of the basic facts at at play here and so and, and, you know, listen, I'm not giving anyone a pass because that that's kind of pretty foundational to your understanding of World War II. Russians, Nazis, different sides of the war. Right. But um, yeah. but I think ultimately that's the most likely explanation. I think probably it was a piece of work that was tasked out. Somebody came back with, yeah, we've got somebody who's going to be in there. They fought for Ukrainian independence. And I'm imagining the speaker said something like, sounds great. Happy to do it. And then when it comes through and you realize that fight for Ukrainian independence was during World no, War II, it's like, oh, fuck me. But to Stephen's point, probably a lot of other people in that house should have, uh, you know, something should have clicked for them, too. So, like, everybody blaming the speaker today? Yeah, okay. He's responsible for the words coming out of his mouth. You're responsible for your hands coming together, my friends. Well, okay. yeah. so, there was a lot this. of people is- doing that. I'll get to the the pure politics question, but let's say you were in the house, Corey, and you realized sure. that. What would you have actually sat down? Like, what would you have I, done? I, I would not have clapped for a Nazi. No. Listen, I mean, I what think you, you guys know. You, I'm going to ask Carter a similar question in terms I, of what if I'm, you were a staffer and you found out two minutes before, how would you have told your minister? But Corey, you, you, you talk about how you wouldn't you clap about a Nazi. you found out two minutes before and you didn't tackle the speaker... <laughs> You're fucking fired, okay? I, like, I have to assume but this what was... if you knew there was a Nazi in the building, but you didn't know the Nazi was going to get a standing <laughs> oh ovation? God, no. Um, and listen, I, it, it is... He wasn't a Nazi. I don't it, know if it is complicated. Nazi, but... It is complicated, right? But uh, it's not that complicated. Yeah, you don't, that side you don't were Nazis, Zane. I think you can call him a Nazi. <laughs> that side was a, was the Nazi I mean, side. He looks, he looks very happy to be there. Oh, I don't God. know if anyone's clapped for him in a long time. You know what? And I'm sure he's characterized <laughs> it to those Christ. around him. He has characterized it to those around him that he was fighting for Ukraine's independence. That's yeah, probably, probably said, how he characterized it. He said, it. I, I, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he was saying, I was fighting for Ukraine's independence. I didn't give a shit about the Nazis. I wanted Ukrainian independence. But hey, you know what? Th- those are some bad bedfellows, right? You know, yeah. you don't get to kind of hand wave that one away. Here's, and, here's why my lesson to politicians every time I work with them is you clap every single time as if it could be interpreted as a sarcastic clap. So that if anyone <laughs> asks you, ultimately... Oh, that's good God. advice. 
The timing needs to be yeah. just slow enough. Oh, my God. You could be like, yeah, I was sarcastic clapping for that Nazi. Are you kidding me? Or I was enthusiastically clapping for that that war hero. Yeah. Uh, depending on where the bio lands, Corey. Carter, what would you have done? Like, this is a deviation of a deviation. Uh, AI can't do that. That's what I know. Uh, so I'm sitting in the house. You're I'm sitting, sitting in the okay. house. I, you're, either, you're either a staffer. You're like, you know the staffers that kind of sit like no, around the, staff- the corner? They, yeah. they sometimes no, 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 get no, no. lucky. They sometimes get lucky. They get to sit around at the back. They notice something. Right? Sure, no, I'm not talking like about a inside. big thing. Yeah, they're yeah, a big no, thing like this, saying. like this yep. thing, right? Like a big yep. thing. No, How would you play not it? what they're paying attention to. They're barely listening. They're barely fucking listening. No, like, no, they, this they get a text. That you're, they get a text. They're in hanging their, off every no, no, word. That they this, get a they get a text in their in their WhatsApp group, being like, "Guys, I think there's a Nazi in the building," and then <laughs> no. someone else responds with just like I don't know, like a meme from the man from the high tower. And they're like, "No, no, guys, seriously, I think there's a Nazi in the building." They're like, "LOL." And then one other person says, "Oh, that guy, he's he's gonna get a like a standing ovation." What do you do? You're in the you're in the staff no, or WhatsApp fucked. group. You're okay. fucked. You, you hand in your resignation because it's going to get worse, right? Like it's never going to get better. But that's that's not the hard one. The hard one is you're the MP who put it together, right? You're the MP. You're sitting there. You're Corey fucking Hogan who put it together faster than everybody else, right? Oh, way to go, Corey. You're smarter than me. Yeah, okay, whatever. And so Corey puts it together and now he's got to decide as he's watching all of his colleagues stand and give a standing ovation to this guy. He's got to decide, do I embarrass my colleagues by not standing or yes. do I stand with them and potentially ruin my fucking political career? That's uh, not that the one. interesting and challenging question because, you know, most of the, most of those people who stood weren't listening, right? Like they were barely paying attention. There's so much going on. They don't give a fuck, right? <laughs> but I, you're not wrong. You're not. No, wrong. you're not I'm wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah. But if you slow clap, right? Hey, if you, you got to stop saying it. that. People are going to think that that's actual advice. This is okay. This is why we moved you back to host AI Zane. You know, holy shit! Can, can I tell you? So there is something to this. There, there is the mob the mentality. Clap? No, no. Like, oh, okay. So, <laughs> sorry. In general, when. Uh, I mean, listen, people do this all of the time. They're barely paying attention. Of people course. stand up, you stand up next to them. But there is also the reality that the group has this effect on you. And if everybody in your group's doing something, even if you think it's wrong, but you look around and everybody in the oh. group's doing it, you think, oh, I guess we're clapping for Waffen SS members today. Like, I just, have, you know, you that's. This, have you seen the studies that they do on this where they, um, they, they said they put smoke in a room of people waiting for the doctor? And so they put smoke in the room and the fire alarm's going off. And if no one else moves, like if everybody else is, uh, is, is, in, on the, is in on it, the person, most people will not move until it's almost too late to move um, because you will do as the group does. If someone stands up in the group, then you're out of there. But until someone stands up, you are absolutely not going to be the first person to stand. That's right. Well, except somebody is the first person to stand. And for the record, yeah. I'm that fucking guy every time. I've got what you call a low agreeability threshold. I don't give a shit. But yeah, we've noticed. heard you on this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, shocker. Yeah. But it's um it's a it's a thing. Like right when everybody else in that group is is standing up, everybody else is standing up. And I, I think it's the speaker throwing himself on that grenade is a is a is a funny thing to me because there was a whole building of people who didn't manage to put one and one together there. 
But it's so much easier for him to throw himself on that grenade, though, right? It immediately oh, yeah. removes some of the political problems of it. Carter, um, does this and, overshadow? And do... let, let, let's just uh, move it on from here, though. Does this overshadow okay. the Zelensky speech? Um, overshadow is a strong word, but it's certainly going to impact it. Um, I think that I'm not sure that it overshadows it necessarily, but it's going to be a a, uh, a niggling little footnote. For it Gartier. colors it in some way. Corey, does it yeah. overshadow? Yeah, I I would phrase it similar to Stephen there. I don't know if overshadow is the right word. It's something that we're talking about. Here's the thing. If there's a case that it's been overshadowed, it's that there wasn't a ton new from the Zelensky visit, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. we, we got a lot of what we were expecting, not big, dramatic moments. Um, this was kind of interesting, right? This was different. Sure. This is going to have people talking. So why, and, why led and, with that? <laughs> and so now you're leading with it, right? Yeah. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, six months from now, we're not going to necessarily remember this. We are going to remember Zelensky came to Ottawa. It's just it's not very newsworthy because nothing new came out of it. I mean, and you're Go not ahead. going after the 90, 90 year old guy and putting him into like a war crime tribunal or anything like that. I mean, the guy. Well, no one wants to go after. No one wants to go after the individual guy. Unless there's not going to be resigns. Like there's some talk of that. Like you know, which I think seems. Yeah. Like a Seems lot, excessive. because I don't know that this was kind of like a willful act by him. But uh, yeah, there's some. Th- then I guess we'll be talking about it. Then it overshadows it, Zane. Then it overshadows it. Okay, well, tell me this, Carter. Okay, was this a political win for Justin Trudeau? This is Nazi. Oh, because <laughs> Nazis are never a political win. Um, Zelensky, the commitment that they made on the back end, which was expected, right? The fact that unlike the United States, that the conservatives and the NDP seem to be on side. I'm not saying the United States is purely fractured, but there's a fracture and erosion happening with Ukrainian support there, especially with some folks in the Senate. But the alignment, the you can trust us, the relationship, pure political win. And, And when I say that, I mean pure political win that can pay dividends for the government. I don't know that dividends are are, are available. I think mm. that the minimum price that Canadians expect, and this is where I think we're different than the Americans, uh, I think the minimum price that Canadians expect is that we're going to be involved in this. You know, Canada has a long history of being a peacekeeping nation. Um, this isn't peacekeeping per se, but this is an aggression that I think that most Canadians find um Troubling at the very least. And and having us involved, us being Canada, uh, whether it's pro- providing support or intelligence or whatever we may be providing, I think that to to the average Canadian, um, that feels like it's the minimum price that we should be paying. So I'm not sure that it gets a bump, but it's certainly not going to hurt him. Corey, does it give him a bump? Does it give him some momentum? Is it a pure political win as you as I phrased it? And, and feel free to disagree with my phraseology, but I'm curious from your Well, he has a low Low agreeability toler- threshold. Yeah. 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 <laughs> low disagreement tolerance. I, I think I, um, I think that generally speaking, when prime ministers look like prime ministers, it's good for them. It's good for how people perceive them. So I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it won't do anything for him, but ultimately Stephen's right. There's a consensus here, right? It, you're not separating yourselves from the PACs in any way because um, the NDP are right there with you. The Conservatives are right there with you. Pierre Polyev basically committed his fealty to this uh, project as well. 
It is interesting when you take a little bit of a step outside of our own country, though, and you talked a bit about this, Zane, the way the issue has evolved in the United States. Mm -hmm. Now there's this serious partisan bend to it. A huge chunk of Republicans are not supportive of sending more money to Ukraine, and a frighteningly large chunk are openly basically on Russia's side on this fucking thing, which is crazy. Um, But it's not just America where there's a bit of, I think, fatigue and this has always been part of Russia's strategy is he thinks he can outlast the will of the West. Putin thinks he can outlast the will of the West. Uh, And you're seeing it. You're seeing it in different places. You're seeing it in Poland. Poland is no longer sending arms to Ukraine Mm -hmm. in part because of a trade dispute and in part because there is this populist party that's coming at them saying, hey, why are you still supporting Ukraine right now? So, you know, these pressures are starting to manifest in different nations And I do think it is somewhat noteworthy that Canada has managed to maintain this consensus. Maybe it's not unusual. We've talked about how many Ukrainian immigrants there are in Canada, how much of the ancestry of Canadians is from Ukraine, but especially us here in Alberta, like just a huge percent of Ukrainians, right? But, um, you know, it is still noteworthy that Canada is hanging strong here. Like, we're not the only nation hanging strong, but you're starting to see people fall away and it certainly doesn't look like there's any danger of Canada falling away from this strong commitment. Carter, let me talk about the U.S. in a second. We talk about our the United States' influence here. Do you see the the scenario Corey has painted in more detail, the one that I was alluding to earlier with the GOP fracturing on this issue? Do you see that scenario coming here in terms of the Polyev conservatives, that they find a wedge on Ukraine in some way in terms of cost of living, right, which is largely part of the narrative in the United States. I'm, You know, Vivek Ramaswamy, great example, right? I'm running to be president of the U.S. and we've got some big fucking problems in the U.S. right now. I'm not running to be president of, you know, whatever the fuck in in Europe, right? And I'm not saying we'd come that starkly with our rhetoric here, but no, you've got cost of living candidate from the conservative side who could make a very domestic first, Canada first case do you see that rhetoric and even the light touch of that policy finding itself on the conservative side of the benches here in Canada? Well, I'm going to I'm going to uh, ask for Corey's help a little bit on this one, because I'm going through my little brain package and I can't think of a time when Canada has not kind of taken uh, the world positioning of, of the country relatively, uh, relatively seriously for a very small country with an abnormally large kind of GDP to population uh, ratio, we're very interested in maintaining our position on the world stage. And I can't think of a, I mean, I guess Stephen Harper maybe pushed us away a little bit, but realistically, I don't think that we, we pulled back very much from our uh, collective desire to, you know, maintain a, a strong position on the world stage. In other words, I'm saying, I don't think that it's a conservative value to walk away from uh, being engaged in in this particular fight. I don't think that that's a conservative value in our in our country. It's a super interesting point, but you're right. Mm. Like there's not really a strain of isolationism in in Canadian conservatism. I think part of that is the composition of our country, connections, even to places like the United Kingdom and the United States. The Mm -hmm. reality that. Mm Going it alone is, you know, I, I guess we could do some North Korean style juice shit, but like, it's not really what we do. We're so deeply integrated with other economies 
it was the British before it was the Americans, right? And yeah, yeah I mean, it's a fascinating point, but you don't really see that here. I, I, you, you know, you could probably go back to sort of pre World War Two era. I'd have to kind of contemplate it, and, but um, yeah, but I mean, then, it's just I'm, not, I'm not really sure something we, were, we do. We, we weren't as isolationist as the as the U.S. because we still had those international relationships that we relied on, right? Like well, pre World yeah. War Two. You know, our we were, argument was more like, should we turn our eyes to the British or the Americans, right? That's, right. that's the Canadian argument. It's not, should we be <laughs> looking outward or inward? Yeah. Should we, it's never been, should we fall into bed with someone? It's just, who, who should we fall into bed with? It is, is that your way? Whores, you is know? that your way, Carter, saying that? <laughs> <sighs> that's good, Carter. I'm glad I interrupted you at that part. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, I was just going to where the puck was going, right? Of the oh, conversation. yeah. You're always um, going there. Yeah. Hey, Carter. Is that your way of saying you don't think the the polyev conservatives will flirt with this uh, in that way? Will they will they question the arrangement? Will they question the dollar amount? Do you see like any of that sort of light touch stuff showing up? Right, you know, the level of support, maybe not the directionality of the support, but the level of the support and the you know, can we trust Justin Trudeau with this and his poor international? Like, how like, could they find? something here that gives them some daylight or is it not worth it or you know and you and by extension you don't see it coming from them well i just think that it's going to be really difficult to kind of split down split it split it open and make it valuable to them i think that the values i mean conservatives have certain values and um those values are relatively set i mean we've seen those conservative values change in the united states but i'm not sure that we're seeing those conservative values shift in the same fashion here in in canada so i i would be very reluctant if i were you know pierre polyev um to play on that particular you know to to start going down that direction because i mean Corey's mentioned i mean one of the interesting things is we have this melting plot kind of idea or, or not melting plot, most cultural mosaic. So when you come to Canada, you're, you know, you still kind of retain your cultural identity in, in our country. Um, and, and, and it's in part because we have so many immigrants from so many different places, but, you know, we have so many Ukrainians, we have so many uh, mm-hmm, people who mm-hmm. are uh, under threat from Russia or under threat from other, other countries i th- i think it'd be really difficult to imagine a scenario where the conservatives would see a net bounce on this without losing significant um first generation immigration uh votes that they desperately require Corey? yeah you know it's it's funny because when uh the canadian government went after a un security council seat didn't get it the knock against the government was they didn't get it. They're not being taken seriously in the world. They're not out there in the world enough. Yeah. The reputation of Canada has suffered. You could imagine an entirely different universe where Canada has this more isolationist conservative bend where the knock is like, why do you care about the fucking United Nations? What a useless body that is. Why are you putting so much money into trying to get to the UN Security Council in the first place? But it's it's so much part of our identity that we are embedded in these international bodies, right? You know, the, we were one of the founding nations of the United Nations, of course, the Suez Crisis and the creation of peacekeepers and so on and so forth. We do tend to be joiners as a country. And I just don't know that there'd be an awful lot of upside for a conservative government, certainly not, or a conservative government, conservative party, 
certainly not a party that aspires to be government and a majority government of taking like a we're going to back away from the world approach. Just it's just not who we are. It's just not who the people are demographically, even as Stephen was saying. Hey, maybe we're wrong because it tends to be if something's in vogue in the United States, six years later, it's in vogue here. But it it doesn't really feel like something that is a natural fit to Canadian conservatism. Yeah. We're going to leave that segment there. Moving on to our next segment, our next segment, Mr. Lonely. <clears throat> I want to talk about Justin Trudeau. He is <laughs> that's a, that's Mr. A, that's lonely. That's a bit of a cut. Oh, is it a cut? man. Well, yeah. Just, yeah, it's lonely. a cut. Yeah. I mean, guy's getting divorced, man. Oh, you a... can't just pick on him because he's come getting on. divorced. Oh, come on. Yeah, he, he's getting divorced. He's also not going to get a big Indian wedding, uh, Carter, <laughs> if he ever gets remarried. Let's just say that. All the banquet halls domestically and internationally are probably closed for Justin Trudeau. Um, Carter, Indian Canada, the tensions, they're rising. Uh, there's a lot going on here, right? With the yeah. with the uh, a murder of a Canadian citizen who was a Khalistani activist. Uh, Canada, I'm, I'm just kind of going through the bullet points here, right? Canada, yeah. um, with the five eyes, found out some intel that confirmed that India was part of it, uh, um, and with 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 this with this murder, Canada then went to India. Most recent reporting says with cell phone data, additional data saying, "Hey, there are Indian agents that were involved in this murder." Uh, and then we led to the story of Justin Trudeau standing up uh, uh, in in Parliament first day of that particular session and making this announcement that blew the lid off uh, this particular relationship in, in, in a real way. Escalations all week, visas. Um, advisories, back and forth rhetoric, America, UK, and the other five eyes, despite being aligned with Canada, not really speaking up. Um, opposition, kind of in a wait and see mode. Justin Trudeau, kind of lonely on the international stage. Is my assessment wrong, Corey? Or do you feel like do you feel like there's there's another shoe to drop here, and that support from our 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 sort of partners on the world stage might might be coming soon enough? Well, look, I think. That behind the scenes, I'd be surprised if the other Five Eyes nations aren't more supportive. Frankly, the evidence came from them. We do have the ambassador from the United States making supportive comments, talking about, um, you know, the need for India to to work with the Canadian government. That seems to be the Biden administration line. You know, we're concerned. We want India to work with Canada. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Certainly doesn't seem to be trying to leave us totally out to dry. But let's be really realistic here. What Canada is accusing India of is something that you could accuse the United States of in many contexts, right? Uh, You know, extrajudicial killings. And you might think like, whoa, that never happens. Well, I don't know. How about a guy named Osama bin Laden where they just flew in, killed him, flew out, right? Like it had a movie about it. (laughs) It made a movie about it. Um, Fuck yeah. (laughs) But, you know, because one person's just citizen is another person's terrorist. And obviously bin Laden's a very extreme example, but the reality is, um, you know, Kalistani nationalists are viewed very differently by the Modi government and, and in India more generally. And, you know, one of the challenges that Trudeau has here is that Modi is crazy popular, right? And uh, Trudeau is not like with their domestic populations. And so the domestic politics can be challenging on these particular matters. But I don't know if I would call Canada isolated. I definitely don't think Canada expected everybody to come out supporting 
Canada. There was some initial reporting mm-hmm, from the mm-hmm. Washington Post that that was the case, but that's been walked back pretty heavily here. And um, yeah, the reality is these countries are going to move carefully because of A, the potential hypocrisies involved here, and B, India is the largest country in the world by population. And there's, there are lots of other chess pieces on the board. Oh, no, sure. And if you're the United <clears throat> States, you're thinking... I could use some friends in that part of the world because I'm in some really tense shit with China, right? And Losing yeah. a friend. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, yeah, it's yeah. just like there's a lot of challenges and real politic is rearing its head a little bit here. Carter, same question to you. And then I want to get into the strategy for the liberals and Trudeau and a more domestic frontier uh, with, with the politics. But answer the lonely question. Do you agree with it or not? Well, I mean, I, do, I don't really agree with it. And... Um, we're we're seeing movement back to it, but I think that the most important thing to remember is that this is a this is a very small thing in a very large pile of shit right now around India and China and the world stage. Um, you know, China is it has been acting a little less rationally than everybody would expect, uh, and. Therefore, everybody's busy trying to shore up relationships with the rest of the countries around the globe. So, I mean, you you can see the BRIC, um, you know, so Brazil, you know, the basically the southern countries mm-hmm. uh, establishing their, themselves as a uh, as a as a force, you know, taking a different position on the Ukraine. Uh, you you we're seeing all of these kind of nation states flexing their muscles a little bit because the world order is shifting a little bit, and I'm I. I don't mean to be all new world order or anything like that, but you know, there was a hierarchy and that hierarchy had China kind of as the number two heavy, you know, number two ranked heavyweight. And now maybe India wants to be the number two ranked heavyweight. And these things all play together and create havoc. Um, I think it's, it's an interesting thing indeed that India even chose to flex this particular muscle at this particular time. Um, it's not like he was, you know, wasn't a known, let's put it this way. It wasn't hard to find him, right? It wasn't like they were looking for him for years. Mm. They knew where he was. They had his address. Now they picked up the time, you know, picked up the phone and made the call. And that to me feels a little bit weird. Why now? Well, it's because now there's less consequence. You're not going to get the same pushback from the United States. You might get a, a severe scolding from the ambassador. Ooh. You know, that's like that's like me hearing from Corey and hearing he's upset about the dinging on my computer. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Right. I was very upset earlier this episode. Yeah. 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 But I don't care. Oh, sorry, Corey. I'll do better next time. Well, that's India's reaction right now. Right. Because everybody India, India is not stupid. India knows what's going on in the world and everybody needs India right now. So, yeah. If there's if there's gonna be if there's ever gonna be a, a get out of jail free card, um, it's probably right this moment. And and Justin Trudeau doesn't look weak. He doesn't look strong. He just looks like a world leader, pointing out that hey, maybe you shouldn't kill people on our soil. I mean, in other eras, this is a this is something that you could see uh, escalating, but not in this era. So, what are you gonna do? This is this is the end of the story. We got more than one muscle here. You know that? Like these these foreign policy hot takes, these international relations hot takes, we can do that well. Oh, yeah, Fuck we you, Fred Zakaria. 
You know, you don't we bring don't, this sort of heat with Fareed's take. Multiple oh podcasts to I do mean, this. I mean, he literally you know? starts the show and reads a Washington Post article he wrote. We get it. You wrote an article, and now you're going to read it to us? Yeah. That seems like not a thing. Corey, I want to get into the domestic politics here. We haven't seen something like what the prime minister did in the House of Commons that day. Yeah. Why do you think he chose that forum? Why do you think he did it then? Talk to me about the politics of it in your mind. Did the you know the China situation on foreign interference have something to do with it and then leave a bad taste in his mouth? Why that forum? I think is just such an interesting question that I know we've moved on from as a, as a news cycle question, but from a politi- politics and political strategy question, it still lingers with me. Yeah, I do think that underneath the actions that he took and the fact that he used Parliament and the day Parliament opened and, you know, brought a very serious matter to the House, in some ways, it's impossible for me to imagine that's not somewhat shaped by everything we've gone through and everything the Liberal government has gone through on Chinese interference and Mm -hmm. the, the accusations that have been thrown about it and not taking these things seriously enough, not taking Canadian sovereignty seriously enough. Now, that's probably why it took the form it took. I think it would be pretty easy to imagine, even if the prime minister wanted to get that message out in a different era, making a statement outside of the house, calling a press conference, you know, with the flashbulbs and the, you know, standing in front mm-hmm, of the Canadian mm-hmm. backdrop. I think that actually probably would have been fine and appropriate. Um, the reason he did it that day was pretty clearly because this story was going to break. Like we we have some pretty good indication that of the that Globe and Mail point. and others yeah, were, exactly. were on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was going to happen, and um, and so it was time for him to get it out there. And I think he was trying to avoid the situation he had in China when you speak about isolation, where he, you know, was kind of seen as isolated from the other political parties versus a foreign power. Um, and it looked like that was going to work for about 30 seconds with uh, Pierre Polyev making his statement in the House. Even that had a bit of hedge, like if, you know, if proven very serious allegations or something to that effect. <laughs> and then he became a little bit more wishy-washy and people around him became a little bit more skeptical as, as time went on. And you mean, so uh, you're talking about Pierre's people here? Yeah, Pierre's yeah, people. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and so, but like, you know, it was a, it was an attempt. It was an attempt to avoid going down that path. Carter, the forum, the strategy, did it work? Did it work? I mean, you know, I don't much care for the way he speaks when it, especially when he puts on the gravitas voice, right? Like the, Ooh, this is really serious. I didn't like that. I thought that it was kind of, you know, as always a little bit over the top and insincere, but I do think that it was entirely correct that he spoke to the house. Um, the house is where, you know, we are now in a political era of this. It's no longer just going to be done in the back rooms. Um, and that political era is in part because they screwed up the, the, the Chinese interference file so badly. So now he didn't really have a choice. He had to bring it forward into the public realm. Um, and the best way to do it, I think, was in in the House of Commons. So I, I don't have any quibbles with it. I, I do think that, you know, in general, foreign affairs shouldn't be done in the House of Commons and in public. Um, you know, this this probably would have been better being some sort of uh, backroom communication or something. Uh, and when the Globe and Mail found out about it, um, 
standing behind national security or something along those lines wouldn't have been bad, but that's off the table right now because of Chinese interference. So you can't you can't use those those tools and techniques because you fucked up last time. Carter, what's interesting to me from a public communications perspective uh, is that the burden of proof seems higher than the back channeling, right? Where you can be iterative, you can be back and forth, you can kind of piece it together, talk to that person, talk to this person. Those conversations can be long, they can be drawn out, and, and, you know, they can be done, to your point, um, without the gaze of the public. But when you tell the public this in a short statement, and then don't necessarily have any of the evidence to back it up. Um, that vacuum exists. And arguably, with the journalistic leaks that we're getting, they're helping to fill that vacuum. But one may argue maybe not in a timely sense, Corey. Like, do you feel that risk that the prime minister, whether we say he had to do this, do you feel that risk is growing or shrinking for him with that vacuum of, of evidence um, and what that allows India and the other sort of players, the multiple players in this story, and I'm being very simplistic to the point of reductive, but does that let the the other players in this story start defining the situation while Canada's evidence trickles out there through third-party sourcing and, 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 and journalists? That's certainly one way to look at it, and I think it's a legitimate point of view, and from a domestic point of view, that is, that is 100% accurate. I think when you look at it through the lens of foreign affairs and strategy in that context, the way he did it kind of makes sense like I, I wouldn't have done it in the house I, i've said that and mm-hmm. but you know going out there first comments were we're really looking for the indian government to work with us we have some concern concerning intel that some people from within the government might have been involved in that mm-hmm. perhaps there was ways that could have been phrased even more delicately but you know that wasn't exactly saying modi did this or something like that right like it it almost sounded like it was rogue elements at the time and like very concerned want to work with india when India then decided to dial it up to 11 on kind of the, you know, outrage that they would be accused of such a thing as a government, right? Which, again, Trudeau didn't really do, right? Trudeau said there were, you know, people within the government who did this, but he didn't say it was a government act. I think that's when you start to escalate on your side, too. And, and it's part of a global conversation. It's about the allies as much as everybody else. And so that's when you start getting out there and feeding more facts into it. And that's how we know, for example, well, India didn't really deny this, right? And that's how we know, for example, well, this is based on intelligence from five eyes. And this is based on signal intelligence that Canadians have gotten that was like texts and, you know, correspondence with the, you know, with uh, uh, diplomats from India in Canada. And and in some ways, I think that that is not so much a reaction to the domestic situation as it is the international one. It's it, India went out there, went really hard. Canada said, you know, no, kind of fuck you a little bit here. We're going to start mm-hmm, putting more mm-hmm. facts on the table because this is what it is. And we offered you a bit of an off ramp and you're not taking it. So now we're going to lay more facts on the table and we're going to draw these lines a little bit more clearly and we're going to drag people into this and nobody wants to take a side. But if we put enough out here, you're going to be a little isolated in India. And so I think in some ways this is Canada trying to, in a funny way, lower the temperature, right? By yeah. escalating kind of incrementally here and offering mm. opportunities to back out. Carter, do you see it the same way or do you see it as, as a vacuum that could become larger rather than uh, shrink in that sense in terms of the information the public the media now all has to kind of connect the dots and 
get on side sort of thing. I'm not sure I'm going to characterize it with the same words, Zane. I think that this has a potential to spin further out of control. And that's not good for anybody. Um, I think that everybody, you know, doesn't, you know, I mean, at the risk of sounding kind of um, heartless, uh, the guy's dead, right? Like, you do not want this to escalate into some, any anything more with more conflict already we're seeing visas not getting processed we're seeing um, families being impacted we don't want any of that that's not what the purpose of this was the purpose of this was um, justin trudeau knew something he couldn't get out of it by just staying quiet um so he felt he needed to to say something in the in the house of commons that problem was created by china and then it kind of escalates and spins from there. So I'm I'm sure that you know Canada just basically wants India to do the um, the the nation state equivalent of I'm sorry and it won't happen again, and everything will go back to something vaguely resembling normalcy. No one wants this to be an enormous fight. Uh, Least of all the uh, Trudeau government. Yeah, well, I think obviously the Trudeau government had to know, just based on the fact there was a bilateral with Modi beforehand, that that they were probably not going to play ball the way that the Canadian government hoped that India was going to play ball. Yeah. But it's, it's fucking fascinating to me because, I mean, really came out hot on these things. It would have not been all that hard to say... Oh my God, we'll in, we'll investigate. Obviously, we are deeply opposed to extrajudicial killings, and and well, we had uh, indicted this individual, and well, we would certainly have uh, you know wanted the opportunity to bring him to justice. This is not the kind of justice India is interested in, and and perhaps people have been acting roguely. Uh, and, and look, that's easier said than done. If you kind of flip things and you try to imagine somebody accuses Canada's agents of doing this, and Canada saying, "Oh my God, what the hell happened here?" Like, how, how much do you really buy that? But I just think it's funny. There's this game that happens in diplomacy where mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. people pretend a lot. And that pretending saves face and saves lives. And I'm just really shocked that we're not at the point where anyone's pretending yet. That's fascinating to me. Carter, I, I want to end this, this. This will go on. We'll have many things to talk about. I want to end with a strategy question for both of you. And it's not an easy one. I'll tell you that. Oh, good. Um, but it's one that requires some consideration. You know... This conversation that is happening with the, the the Sikh community, the broader Punjabi community, the Indian community in Canada is a complicated one. It spans many decades, right? This conversation of Khalistani independence, which is about wanting a, a Sikh state. It, you, as Corey, you alluded to, Modi and his government view that as, as extremism. There are many folks here who come from that uh, broader community who also view it as extremism. Others who view it as, as activism. Um it's it's led to a very tough to navigate soup of opinions, diverse opinions. But to Carter, your earlier point on a different segment, this concept of the cultural mosaic, what we're what we're about in some ways, yeah. you're allowed to let those conversations flourish. But there's also a counter narrative right now that's starting to say, um, to be simplistic about it, why are all these people bringing all their politics over here? Right. And we've heard that for decades and it's getting louder. Right. Yeah. It's getting louder in certain circles. And so the strategy question I have for you is to go back to the prime minister's office. What role does the prime minister have here? 
what role does the leader in chief have here? I don't even care what hat he wears, what color that jersey is. Around that sort of counter narrative that emerges in a delicate situation of which you are not one of those people, but you are the leader of this country. You've just called out the Indian government on this. You know, this is not a, a question that you can answer probably immediately, but help me think through that. You work in the PMO, you see this happening. It probably doesn't align with your view of Canada that you've had. And you know that it, it's perhaps a powder keg for something else domestically, let alone whatever happens yeah. internationally. Give me just some of your thoughts or even fragments of your thoughts around how you think of that strategy question and the responsibility that the prime minister has on, on something like this. The responsibility is primarily safety and order, you know, at home. Um, world safety, world order is a secondary concern. But this isn't just the this isn't the first or the only or the last time that we will see international politics come back and and and, and express itself negatively in Canada. Um, the Irish. Uh, you know, the, the, the Irish Civil War created all kinds of trouble around the world where terrorists were terrorists, quote unquote, terrorists are harbored by certain nations. Uh, Islamic fundamentalism has touched Canada. Um, there has been uh, no shortage. of. I mean, we saw a I'm going to call it a riot, an armed battle of some sort in northeast Calgary just a couple of weeks ago between uh, various groups uh, that they, they were fighting a battle. That was occurring uh, thousands and thousands of miles away. Eritrean uh, politics, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, politics from around the world touches touches areas that have immigration, right? We have immigration. We're going to have politics from around the world touch us, but we have to focus on law and order here, and that's what makes this particular thing. Like, if 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 Nijar had gotten on a tele on a plane and landed in India and been "Quote unquote," dealt with with the Indian by the Indian authorities, we still would have been concerned, but it wouldn't have been an extrajudicial killing on mm. Canadian soil of a Canadian citizen. Um, and that's, I think, that's where we have to focus our most of our energy. Focus the energy on how do we maintain maintain a, a lawful society in Canada, and. Uh, you know, that's the same thing with the Chinese election interference. I mean, if we're going to have a lawful society, we have to have a functioning democracy. All of this comes stems from the same the same issue. And that issue is Canada first, not necessarily the groups that that uh, are fighting these fights or, or having these these wars. Corey, this seems to be littered with traps here, too, right? Like you can make a, a move that you think is right morally but you, you don't want to necessarily tip your hand on what you think is the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. You're also clearly after the electoral outcome and, and, and you know, and want to make sure you don't screw that up, right? If you're being totally honest, your strategist and advisor would be like, enough with the sentimentality. There's also the electoral politics here to worry about. And then there's just the right thing to do. As Carter's mentioned, he's put a couple things on the table. Your take on this, if you were advising the PMO on, on their responsibility, their scope of responsibilities, and, and how to think about the strategies here. Well, I, I agree with so much of what Stephen said. Um, rule of law, everything has to happen in that context. Like that, that is the fundamental bargain that is Canada. Like this is how we're going to settle our differences. We're going to do it through courts. We're going to do it through elections. That's that's how we're going to determine things. Like, and when you talk about problems from elsewhere, Zane, um, 
like and politics, I put that in air quotes just I because know, that was literally said to me on a panel just before I went on on CBC where the guest was like that he literally said paraphrase but like these they just need to stop bringing their problems from elsewhere yeah oh, well look on. problems from elsewhere has I mean, we're a nation arguably because of problems from elsewhere. You talk about problems from elsewhere, the <laughs> Finian raids, War of 1812, you know, fights between the French and the English here. I, politics from elsewhere have always... Revolution. Yeah, I mean, Politics everything. from elsewhere have always been the politics of here. That's the reality that is Canada, and, and that's just how it is. And so, like, to sit there and kind of compartmentalize and say, well, we can't deal with that because that's from elsewhere... I mean, see our earlier comments about Canada's place in the world and the way we've tried to engage with the world and the way we connect with the world and the way we think of ourselves as, Mm -hmm, in many mm -hmm. ways, hyphenated Canadians. You know, we are Canadians, but we might be Canadians who have been born in another country or have ancestry and close ties to another country. And that's that's Canadian politics. The idea that politics from elsewhere is anything else is absurd to me. It, It frankly, fundamentally is. So if you're sitting there in the prime minister's office and you're saying, oh, how might these affairs uh, affect us? Uh, great. That's true of a thousand different issues. We've talked about a lot of them just tonight, right? Like, how yeah. might the Ukrainian situation affect the politics mm-hmm. in this country? How might the situation in India affect the politics in this country? God, you know, the list never ends if you start building it. And so if you start to compartmentalize in that way, I think you're going to end up in an awful lot of trouble. You just have to think about these as issues facing the country that are going to be more acute with different communities and you got to power your way through it. You just got to, you got to manage it and you, you're going to get yourself in a world of shit. If you start thinking these are not Canada's problems or these are problems that have been brought to Canada from somewhere else. And there's something intrinsically wrong with that. I think that would be a big mistake. Carter, I don't know if you understood what I was trying to say, but that guy was uh, pretty much saying, why are Brown people bringing their politics? Yeah. Yeah, And it it was just, it was kind of, it's, it's mired in racism, right? Like, of course it is. Of course it is. Yes. I I just, of course it was okay when the Irish did it, you know, the Irish were fine. We were, we were fine with those guys. So that's fine. But now that we're getting it from, you know, other continents, Oh my God, you know, they're South Asians. Like it's just fucking bullshit. Who who said that? Do we have to go after him? I mean, no, I don't. I don't know. I don't know who said it. I don't know if we have to go after him. I think it was pretty Uh standard issue. Was it Uh, Hurley? Anyways. Was it, it fucking was, Hurley? It was, it was, not, it was, it was not, not Hurley. Don't, it was not Hurley. Carter, don't, Carter, stop it. Carter, no. Carter, I was no. just asking a question. Guys. It was I'm not gonna... Let's move it on to our final segment or over under our <laughs> oh, lightning okay. round. I don't even want to say we do it for you now after that. Just left a what did I do? taste in my mouth. Uh, Carter. Carter, on Carter, your Carter. side with the whole racism. How bad is this India situation for Justin Trudeau on a scale of 1 to 10? 10 being this is uh, terrible, um, but he's got his heel with it, of course. 1 being this is this is this is not that bad. Give it to me on on that scale of I one think to this ten, is as one. it stands uh, right now. Well, I mean, it's just not that bad, is it? I mean, he he does look strong to some audiences. Um, you know, it, it does create all kinds of problems on the international stage. But my God, that's been fucked up for so long, and it wasn't your fault. So, I don't think it's a big issue. I think that uh, this is a, a D plus. <laughs> Corey, how bad is this for Trudeau on that one to ten? I think it's pretty bad. I, I mean, I don't think it's unique to Trudeau. I think it's a really messy situation for Canada here. I'm going to say a seven or an eight because I have, I, I listen. I don't have trouble imagining what climb downs could be, but I have trouble imagining what are climb downs that Modi will accept at this point, just based on the mm. rhetoric to date. And and by the way, when I say Modi, 
it's it's never Modi. Like one of the fascinating things about the Modi government is he like, you know, he'll have his radio show. He'll say all these nice things. He keeps in a positive space. He he talks about, you know, all of these positive things and how he'll be there to support people. And then he rewards and promotes lieutenants who, you know, deliver the knife, you know, metaphorically and in, in some cases, literally, it seems like. So that's a real challenge, um, right? Because unless there's a willingness for somebody else to engage with you, a counterparty on the other side, what, what the hell are you going to do? So Canada has put out all of these cards now. I said, this is clearly the Indian government. Does anybody think the Indian government is going to say, oh, oh, okay, we get it now. I mean, the problem is we have... Visa's You're imagining being frozen. the wrong end game. Yeah, that's yeah. the wrong end game. Well, what's the end game, Stephen? Because like at this point, there are actual concrete actions that India's taken, not just rhetoric that need to be undone. And so, what's the trigger for them to be undone? Because it's not going to be Canada groveling. The, I think that's the pretty great, clear. The great, the great leveler of all things, and that's time. You know, if you have to go to India for a wedding, you're not going to be getting to India for a while. Oops, a daisy. Well, listen. Right? Maybe it's Modi coming in and magnanimously saying, we've decided we just need to cool things down. Seems unlikely based on what's happened to date, but... It's time. Yeah, no, I, the way... Time, yeah. he, time will make him make that decision. It will not be anything... It, he'll be like, why are we still fighting with Canada? No, that's remember. not how Does it works, Carter. Remember? You don't understand the Indian mindset. Have you seen a ZTV Indian oh. drama, Carter? They can stick on the same plot point for uh, years. I've, yeah, I've got and the Restless. RRR on oh my, my God. No, no. Uh, Carter. watch list. <laughs> Did you know Victor is from Montana? I know it's the very like, upsetting. We talked about this last time. Very but upsetting. that guy, it is. It is pretty. I got. I thought it was like classic, like German imports. But he's from. He's from Montana. Um, his name's Eric. <laughs> it's not right. <laughs> what What is happening right now? Were you not here when we talked about this? No. Oh, no, we talked about Victor episode. from Young and the Restless for a very long time. <laughs> long. I just, yeah, it was pretty Great good. Episode. Hey, 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 Carter. I'm going to st- start with you on this one. Overrated or underrated Doug Ford losing a third cabinet minister in as many weeks. This time it is a minister touted as a top performer, Monty McNaughton, labor minister, one who's been quite useful to the Ford government. He's gone, leaving for the private sector. Overrated or underrated Ford losing a third cabinet minister in as many weeks? Listen, it's, it, it's, it can't be a big deal because the, the all the power cells in the, in the center anyways. These, these cabinet ministers don't get the opportunity <laughs> To flex their muscle. I mean, they barely get to operate within their mandate letters. I mean, you can't even sell the green belt to your friends and get away with it anymore. So I don't see how ministers uh, matter in in Doug Ford's uh, world. Overrated, underrated. Corey, what do you think? I think overrated because most of the time ministers leaving is overrated. And and frankly, it's probably not going to change the outcome of the next leadership or anything like What's that. that if he finance was be... minister who left? Does anybody remember his name? Bill Morneau? Talk about oh, Okay, Morneau. well, just be smart enough to remember his name, you bastard. Like, that killed oh, you were trying to... Joke. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see, okay. Oh, I didn't know it was a joke. This whole okay. joke. Nicely done, Carter. You're losing steam at the end here. Hey, Corey. <laughs> hey, Corey. I want to ask you about this. Sure. Um, overrated, underrated. The current position of the labor movement as seen through auto workers... The workers in Ford here have, have gotten a deal, 25% wage uh, increase on their base rate. They still have negotiations with GM and Stellantis. This is Unifor representing the workers. And of course, in the States, 
Big deal story of UAW striking against the, the same three Ford uh, GM and Stellantis down there. What do you think of the tactics? What do you think of the demands? What do you think of the, the rhetoric as you've been seeing it? Overrated, uh, underrated, are you high marks to, to, to labor as you've seen organized labor perform here? Give me your, give me your take. I, I, I want to spend more time on this a bit later, but I would set, set a baseline for me. You know, it, it has the potential to be really significant. It, it's not certain that it will be, but I'll tell you something. One of the things that the labor movement does very well is get benefit for workers. I mean, it's why we have the weekend, folks, you know, Mm -hmm. and one of the things that uh, owners and, you know, uh, more organized capital has done very well for a long time is is kind of vilify the labor movement because, of course, it gets things for workers that come at the expense of owners in many cases. That's a simple reality. I'm not even trying to be political. If you can't see that, God help you. Right. I, that's just <laughs> that's just how it is. Yeah, controversial but of you. We have for a very long time been in kind of a low inflation environment where wages have been kind of steady and even clawed back in many cases. And so I think it's pretty easy for people to forget in the private non-unionized sector what kind of benefits you can get from working together and being in the private unionized sector. And when you get... When you get agreements with 25% wage increases, that's pretty fucking tough to ignore. And so I do think that when you think about unionization and the decline of it overall in Canada and in the United Mm -hmm, States, mm -hmm. that story might be reversing itself if you start to see some big wins here, because then you'll start to see people saying, holy shit, how did they get 25%? Well, I'll tell you how. They stood together and they stood against the owners. More people are going to think that sounds pretty fucking appealing if they're looking at, say, a 2% cost of living relative to that. Carter, here's what they got in Canada. 25% on the base rate, a reactivating cost of living allowance, 10K bonus, two new paid holidays and pension improvements. In the U.S., uh, I just know the top line, they're asking for 36%. They seem to be making a pretty strident case as it relates to CEO compensation being their main metric. I guess the question I have is is your thoughts on what you're seeing from the labor movement here, especially through the, the this, this most recent struggle of auto workers, uh, overrated or, or underrated in terms of uh, what you're seeing on the table and in both of uh, Canada and the U.S. Well, I mean, we used to call 25% raises uh, Corey Hogan money. I mean, he was the only one getting that kind of raise <laughs> at H&K, I can tell you that. Um, but, he knew where the puck know, was I going. Mean, he knew where the puck right. was going. He knew where Listen, the puck was going. My mom and dad didn't work there, but uh, I knew people there. Yeah, you did pretty well. Um, you definitely knew here- where to put the em- emphasis. That's right. Okay. <laughs> so good. Definitely put it on the right syllable. Oh. <sighs> God, it just brings back flashbacks. Um, actually great memories, to be honest, but yes. Yeah, well, we all well, memories. memories of big raises. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, tell us again about how, how you never had so much disposable income, Corey. That was my favorite part. And tell us about how you sold other people on that false promise. <laughs> <laughs> Zane, I didn't lie to you when I said that you could make that kind of money at H&K. I just yeah, I maybe misled you that you would make that kind of money. Yeah. Listen, this is good for the labor movement. Uh, the labor movement has, has been... Should have unionized, yeah. The labor movement has been stagnant for a long time. Uh, it is. It has been rebuffed by places like Amazon and other places. This could uh, kickstart uh, a significant amount of uh, labor uh, relations, and, and, and I don't think that that's necessarily bad. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're watching one of the longest strikes... 
uh, occur at the same time with the Screenwriters Guild and the uh, um, and the Actors Guild. So, you know, I, I don't think it's just going to be as simple as everybody's going to kind of uh, get what they need and move on. But I do think that it's 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 heartening uh, to see that uh, raises can be received by uh, other people not named Corey Hogan. We're going to leave that episode there. That's a wrap on episode 1255 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time. 